Would you all stand please to honor the reading of the Word of God. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. I may have to do some rearranging this morning with my fan. Thank you, pardon me. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. The new birth, born again. Obviously, we are into one of the most famous, well-quoted, most written about, most important passages in all of sacred scripture, and all the New Testament, and all of this gospel. Some of the most important conversations ever held in the history of this planet are recorded in the Gospel of John. Almost needless to say, this is one of them. Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 3 to 4. If you'll uh, permit me, I'm going to take, pardon the expression, a running leap into verses 3 and 4 by simply uh, starting at the top of the chapter. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him, that is, to Jesus by night, and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And I hope that all of that passage we explored last week is still in here and here for you. Today's passage. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Very interesting. These are the words of the Lord, and thanks be to God for them. Thank you, folks. You may be seated. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, ruler of heaven and earth, we pray for your proclamation. We pray for the teaching of your word. We pray for the proclamation and teaching of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, the Word made flesh. We pray, Lord, that you will fill this place with your spirit, fill this failed servant with your spirit to speak your truth accurately and clearly and honestly, authentically. We thank you for our brothers and sisters upon this continent. We thank you for our brothers and sisters and others who are seeking the one true living God from all over the world, Afghanistan, Pakistan, India, Philippines, South America, Africa, Canada, Poland, and the United States. And there are other nations, forgive me, for which I have forgotten. Thank you that we, this small, humble group, in a small, humble way, are able to proclaim your truth and send it literally throughout the entire world. May your word go out this morning as every morning, every Sunday, and every Tuesday. And we trust that through the power of your spirit, through the truth of your word, your word will accomplish precisely what you wish for it to accomplish. In each and every mind and heart and soul, the world over. And thank you for the privilege of proclaiming this wonderful passage, the new birth a condition, a state of being which must be met by all humanity if one is to enter and see and encounter the kingdom of God. So may the meditations of all of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O Lord our God, our rock and our redeemer, you who are our only hope and you who are more than hope for one and all. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he who is the word made flesh, we pray. Amen. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see 
the kingdom of God. As stated before, obviously, this is one of the most profound truths that has ever been stated to humanity and for humanity from the lips of God Himself. Here are the lips of God the Son in the flesh. Jesus gives one of life's most critical spiritual needs, one of life's most critical and fundamental realities here. And notice His statement to Nicodemus immediately cuts to the heart of the matter. Pardon the expression, Jesus simply cuts to the chase immediately. He does not accept this man's challenge to a theological debate. He cuts straight to the heart of the matter. He cuts straight to the heart and the core of Nicodemus. He cuts to the heart of the matter for all of humanity, for all human beings. He cuts to the heart of, the of all humanity's lost condition and greatest need and greatest requirement. Jesus dispenses with and simply ignores the rules of religious debate that Nicodemus opens this conversation with, as you recall, we studied and examined last week, the beginning of the chapter. He who is the Word made flesh simply does not have to obey or play by lost humanity's rules. He does not. He has not. He never will. He doesn't have to. He who is the Word made flesh does not play by the broken religious elite's rules. He, Jesus, the Word made flesh, God the Son in the flesh, He is the true and ultimate authority figure here in this situation, in this conversation. He has the, as we call it, the high ground in every way that you could possibly imagine in this conversation. Nicodemus, yes, he believes he is the authority figure, one of the chief representatives in his lifetime of the religious elite of his day. He believes he has the high ground. He is the authority figure. He will find he is nothing of the kind. Nicodemus throws out a challenge to a debate. Jesus will completely turn the tables here in one fell swoop, as we say. In opening salvo, in opening is a foundational fundamental fact. This will be no debate, Nicodemus. This will be a lesson. This will be a profound revelation of divine truth. God's true truth to Nicodemus, to the Jewish people, and in time to all of humanity. Nicodemus, you'll notice, he voices no specific or explicit question aloud just yet. However, if you remember what we discussed from last week's passage, there are almost certainly, in his opening statement, there are almost certainly in his opening statement to Jesus and of many questions that he may have about or to Jesus, for Jesus. Yet Jesus immediately gives an answer in the opening reply, his opening statement to Nicodemus. It's wonderful. It's the most profound thing you'll ever hear. Very interesting. Very wonderful. Jesus just simply states fact. A need, a condition, a state of being, a fundamental transformation, a comprehensive transformation that must take place in order for Nicodemus, or anyone else for that matter, to see, to encounter, to experience, to live in the kingdom of God. What do we mean by the kingdom of God? I'll explain that more upon that shortly, what the kingdom of God means to Nicodemus, to a first century Jew. The kingdom of God means to probably someone in your culture in the 21st century, what people commonly refer to as heaven. Life after death. The afterlife. Hopes of a life after this life, in the soul and in the body. A better life, a transcendent life, a holy life, a perfect life, a life which is eternal, a life which does not end, a life which is joined to the one true living God, 
truly living in the presence of He who is in the end for everyone, one way or the other, absolute and ultimate reality. And Jesus immediately confronts Nicodemus with his works righteousness approach to religion, to salvation, to the way into the kingdom, to the way to God. He cuts right to the heart and addresses in a roundabout way, well, perhaps not so roundabout way. He confronts the works righteousness approach of Nicodemus, of his religious sept that he belongs to the Pharisees, the works righteousness religion of the Jewish religious establishment. Will not do. It will not do. Nothing of the kind. You are pursuing a vain and empty and hollow pursuit, which in the end will avail you nothing. That's not the way to the kingdom of God, according to Jesus. Which brings me to a few contemporary erroneous sayings in contemporary Christianity. When that still small voice speaks to you over and over and over during the course of the week, address this, address this, address this. You need to address this. Um, I know folks mean well, but there are two rather erroneous statements that all of us have probably heard for most of our lives or for a very long time. One of those contemporary sayings is, God accepts you just the way you are. Really? That's not what Jesus is saying here. Unless one is born again, you must be born again. Another erroneous saying is, although some people may mean well by it, God loves you or accepts you unconditionally. Really? You must be born again. Unless one is born again, they will not see the kingdom of God. Now there is a way, yes, in which God does love everyone unconditionally. He is the Creator. He loves His creation. He loves those who were created in His image to enjoy Him and glorify Him forever. But there is a very profound way in which Jesus, God does not accept us just the way we are. He does not accept us unconditionally. That is false. That is a dangerous thing to say. Let me put this to you this way. What selfish, self-absorbed, self-worshipping, fallen, sinful human creature doesn't want to hear that? Let's admit what we all were before our conversion. Self-worshipping little traitors against the high king of heaven. And what fallen human being doesn't want to hear, Oh, God will just accept you the way you are. It's okay. You don't have to change. You don't have to transform. You don't have to submit. You don't have to surrender. It'll be alright in the end. He'll just take you just the way you are. You can go on just the way you are now, doing whatever you want, with whoever you want, whenever you want, being the center of your own little universe, worshiping yourself. He'll take you just the way you are. No, He will not. Unless one is born again. And in verse 7, you must be born again. Folks, I'm no genius, but that certainly sounds like a condition or a requirement to me. You will not enter the kingdom of God just as you are. You must be born again. He means something radical, something completely transformative, a complete comprehensive change in a human from the inside out, from their soul, their spirit, the core of their very being. He means a person must be raised from spiritual death to spiritual life. Spiritual death, lost humanity's hapless de facto state. But let's go back a bit and begin to unpack 
or dig down deep into the deep truth of what Jesus says to this man, what he says to all of us. Reminds me, for you history lovers, of the message and ministry of Mr. George Whitfield, a British evangelist the mid-18th century who made several evangelistic tours uh, in, the United, in the, what became the United States, the colonies at that time. He was an amazing man. He was said to often preach literally outdoors to thousands of people. And there was something of a that took place when he preached. This is open-air preaching without any sound-throwing technology whatsoever in the mid-18th century. And this man preached before thousands of people. And they could hear every word he said. In fact, one man you may recall, his name was Benjamin Franklin. I believe at an evangelistic meeting in a field outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, Franklin thought there were about 10,000 people there. He was standing in the back of the crowd. He said, I heard every word Whitfield said. And often Whitfield's message was, you must be born again. John chapter 3. And uh, at one uh, particular occasion when he was in America, he was asked by, uh, let's call them, uh, dare I say it, perhaps a member of the press, as we would say today, you keep saying you must be born again, you must be born again, you keep preaching you must be born again, you must be born again. Why, Mr. Whitfield, do you keep preaching and saying you must be born again? Whitfield didn't blink an eye. He said, I keep saying you must be born again because you must be born again. <laughs> the Son of God says you must be born again in John chapter 3. Well, first of all here, back to the first century A.D., Jesus' response, his statement to Nicodemus is made with absolute authority. Absolute authority. Jesus gives a very strong authoritarian response. And that authority is implied, actually, that authority is all but explicitly proclaimed with the famous preface that Jesus uses, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus will use this preface to various statements at least 25 times or more in this gospel. That's very important. And I explained this at length to you the first time that we encountered this preface to a statement. Truly, truly, I say to you. I explained that at length, what it meant. I'll try to uh, encapsulate that uh, in a timely fashion this morning. I hope you remember what that means. Amen, amen, in the Aramaic, I say to you. It's a very interesting statement. It means Jesus is basically saying, I am telling you an absolute solemn truth which cannot be refuted, which cannot be debated. I'm giving you absolute solemn truth which, with what I'm about to say. I am speaking with authority. I am speaking with authenticity. Many Bible scholars also believe, Amen, Amen, I say to you, is basically a paraphrase of, Thus says the Lord from the Old Testament. He is implying, I am giving you... Absolute solemn truth with absolute authority because the words I give to you are the words of God. Listen closely to what I am about to say. These, of course, are the words of God. These are the words of God coming from He who is the Word of God made flesh. Unless one is born again, He says, He or she, by the way, the Greek word used there refers to all men, all women. You could translate that as unless one is born again, He or she, they, cannot see the kingdom of God. Now notice... Jesus says, unless, unless one. So Jesus is saying something is required. Something must happen. Some condition must be met. Some condition or state of being must be achieved. Must take place with or to or in a person. Nicodemus, everyone else. Humanity, all humanity. By the way, the word you in this conversation, it moves from the singular to the plural. He's not just talking about Nicodemus. 
He's talking not just about the Jewish people. He's speaking about humanity. One, the word one here, unless one, yes, it means everyone. Now, I should tell you something uh, interesting about this conversation. For those of you who like all of the details, we believe, well, it's a distinct possibility that Jesus and Nicodemus are actually speaking to one another in two languages. Many people in Palestine in the first century A.D. of all the social strata probably spoke to some degree or another Koine Greek, the commercial language of the Roman Empire, since they're a province of the Roman Empire and have been for some time. I've told you this before. Even lower class people probably spoke Koine Greek to a degree. This is the Son of God, accomplished rabbi, although his credentials would be questioned by the religious elite. But Nicodemus is an extremely well-educated learned man who has probably been speaking Koine Greek as well as Aramaic from the days of his childhood, from his, his early youth. So it's very interesting. They're probably going back and forth between Koine Greek and Aramaic. There's a reason for this. The elite, the learned, often did this in the first century AD. It was common for them. Why? because they could use very specific words from one language or another to make their point, to get their point across in a conversation or in a debate. And folks, the Lord Jesus Christ, he masterfully uses the Koine Greek language in this conversation. And I'm going to ask you to pay very close attention to specific words that he uses in this conversation. We have to do that in order to fully appreciate and understand exactly what he's saying, exactly what he's teaching Nicodemus. Unless one is born again, he or she cannot see the kingdom of God. First, one must be what? Born again. What in the world is that all about? Well, everybody jumps to the conclusion that Nicodemus believes that, he, that Nicodemus is just crassly, literally, physically interpreting what Jesus is saying, talking about a grown adult becoming a fetus or an infant again and entering their mother's womb. No, Nicodemus is not that obtuse or vacuous. He's not a stupid man. He knows Jesus is speaking in terms of simile and metaphor. It's just Nicodemus doesn't like what that metaphor is suggesting and where it's headed and where it's going. More upon that shortly. But there is a fundamental birth or transformation which must take place. And any person really using your brain power, rationally, reasonably thinking this through, you will come to the conclusion that Jesus is speaking of a spiritual reality. Not a physical reality, a spiritual reality. It leads to a physical reality because the New Testament will tell us if you are born again in your soul, your spirit, the core of your being, at the end of human history as we know it, your body will be born again as it is raised up again, immortal and incorruptible, and joined to your soul forever. But here, Jesus, first things first, the body always follows the soul. This is a new birth, a spiritual birth, which takes place in the soul. Now, born, the word born, ginao, he uses it specifically. He uses the word ginao. It means to receive life, to be born. It means to be begotten by a parent, begotten by a father, or bore, carried by a mother. It means to be conceived, to be brought forth to life, to come to life, receive life. Now, at this point, again, I ask you, stay with me. This is important. This is significant. You have to focus very carefully on the specific words that Jesus uses here. This is, uh, oh my goodness, I can't exaggerate how important this is to understanding exactly what he's saying, what he's trying to explain here, what he's teaching. 
This word ganao, we do usually and accurately translate it into English as born. But folks, there's more here than what meets the eye to the casual reader, especially in English. Jesus is saying more here than what may meet your eye when he uses his word ganao for born. I've mentioned to you Brother Leon Morris, a magnificent theologian who's in the Father's house now. He wrote a wonderful book. If you ever see it, grab it. It's called Expository Reflections on the Gospel of John. And he draws our attention to this word in that book. He writes, quote, We commonly translate ganao as born, but it must be noticed that the Greek verb ganao used by Jesus here is more naturally understood of a birth or a life by what may... Pardon me. I'm excited when I teach the Gospel of John. I'm getting ahead of myself. It must be noticed that the Greek verb ganao used by Jesus here is more naturally understood of a birth or a life by way or by the work of the male parent rather than the female, the father rather than the mother. It is the begotten of old-fashioned English speech. The point is, what Jesus says here more naturally refers to the male parent, the father, rather than the female parent, the mother. And this word in this context refers to the action, this birth, this life given by a father, do you see? By God. By God the Father. He gives this new birth. He works this new birth. He gives this new life. This new birth, born again, experience, this born again life is by the action and work of the divine Father. God himself, not a human being. The way to the kingdom of God is not the way of human striving or excellence of any sort whatsoever. We receive this birth, this born-again experience. We enter the kingdom of God because of what God does. Not human beings. End quote. Now, pursuing it further. Born by the work, born by the act, born by the power of God, born again. Born again? Born all over again? A second time? Completely? A new existence? Now think of this as if you were hearing it for the first time. A new birth? A second birth, really. Born, given life all over again. New life, better life? The word that we often translate into English as again, this word Jesus uses is anothen. Anothen. A-N-O-T-H-E-N. I have a personal history with this word. I love this word. I've always loved this word ever since I was introduced to this word. Back when I was earning my ministry degree in biblical languages class, we had, oh, we had quite an assignment to do a comprehensive word study on anothen. What it meant in Greco-Roman literature outside of the Bible. Every time this word is used in the Bible, what does it mean? And of course, you're narrowing down on what this word means here. And folks, this has given me a totally new appreciation for this conversation. And what Jesus means and where he's really headed with this. Now, I've explained this word, how Jesus uses it numerous times in the past few years, but I've been waiting for this morning. <laughs> this is the first time that I've actually been through the Gospel of John, chapter 3, where Jesus uses this word, anothen. Here is the wonderful thing about this word and how and why Jesus uses anothen. Anothen can be translated in this context as again, as we commonly translate it. Again, as in anew, born anew, born again, born over again. Here's a wonderful thing, though. Anothen can also mean, in this context, from above. So which way do we translate it? Again or from above? From above, that is, 
above, a higher place, the very top place, the very highest place of all. So what does Jesus mean? Do we translate this as again or as above? The answer is yes. We usually translate anothen as again. But many Greek scholars, many theologians over the years, and they have totally convinced me, Jesus is saying both. He's saying both. That's probably how we should translate it. I am convinced with them that Jesus means, he uses, he intended both, both meanings of the word here. Jesus is saying this. We should translate it this way. Unless one is born again from above. Now you see where he's headed? Jesus is saying unless a person is born, given life, a new life, by God, by God's power, from above, from heaven. They cannot, they will not see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says again from above, and I believe he is, he means that this life, this birth, comes from above, the highest place. Again, he's hammering home the truth. You are born again by the power of God. It comes from God. It comes from heaven. It's a gift from God. This new second better birth or life comes from God by the will and action and power of God. It is a gift from above, from heaven, as we would say. Now, this born-again life, again, its origin is in heaven. Its origin is not on earth. Its origin is with God. Its origin is not with fallen humanity. So this must be something of a spiritual birth, a soul birth, a spirit birth, from above by God's action. So now, this born-again life from above, it must be achieved in a person by God's action. Or they will not see the kingdom of God. Do you realize how many people the world over on every continent and every culture from time immemorial have been trying to work their way into the afterlife? Jesus says, absolutely not. That doesn't work. It doesn't happen that way. At all. Now what does Jesus Nicodemus mean or understand by the kingdom of God? of God here. Or let me put it this way. Focus a little more. How would a first century Jew think of this phrase, the kingdom of God? I will answer that again succinctly by a wonderful theologian by the name of D.A. Carson. From his commentary, he writes, to a Jew with the background and convictions of Nicodemus, to see the kingdom of God would be to participate in the kingdom coming at the very end of the age, to experience eternal, everlasting resurrection life. End quote. So according to Jesus, in order for human beings to see, to experience, to live in this kingdom of God, and all that that means that I and Dr. Carson explained to you, they must undergo a complete and total transformation. And they can't achieve it themselves. We can't manufacture that or achieve that ourselves. They must undergo this total transformation, this new birth, as Jesus says. It comes from another realm. It comes from another place altogether. It comes from a place outside of time and space in this creation as we know it. It is given, it happens by way of the direct intervention of God Himself. Verse 4, Nicodemus replied. And Nicodemus said to him, How? I believe what Nicodemus is saying here is half question and half statement. I think he's rattled, he's shaken, he's disturbed, he doesn't like what he hears, and he's responding not only with incredulousness, but with rebellion, with stubbornness. He may even be angry in this reply. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? He may have been answering in somewhat of an attitude such as that. So how's a man able to be born when he is old? Entering a mother's womb, whatever this metaphor of yours means, physically or spiritually, and begin an existence all over again. Now what about this question of Nicodemus? How, how do we deal with this question? How do we interpret this? And we'll close with this this morning. Nicodemus, yes, obviously. He appears to be giving something of an incredulous question. Probably expecting a negative answer. He's not going to get a negative answer. He has often been accused of being completely unable or completely failing to grasp the deep meaning of Jesus' wonderful metaphor here of this new birth, this new life, this total transformation of the person, transformation of the soul as a new birth. Well, he is most certainly misunderstanding Jesus in a profound way. He is. Or he's not fully understanding or wanting to understand or fully appreciate Jesus speaking this way of a profound spiritual reality, new everlasting life in the kingdom of God. After all, Nicodemus has been spending his whole life living a holier-than-thou life, working his way in. He thinks he has the keys of the kingdom in the back pocket of his robe. He deserves heaven. Well, he does God a favor every time he wakes up in the morning and sets his feet on the floor. Don't you tell him that there is another way into the kingdom of God, and it's not his way. He is the teacher of Israel. The master theologian. He's deliberately misunderstanding Jesus in some way, or not fully understanding Jesus' metaphor. But folks, please, please think this way. You must not accuse Nicodemus of being vacuous or obtuse. He is not. Nicodemus is not a stupid man. If he was, he would not be, as Jesus says, the teacher of Israel, which we believe may be an actual formal title. He may be misunderstanding Jesus, not fully perceiving or appreciating what Jesus offers. But I think he's also being stubborn. He's being rebellious and so spiritually in the dark. But he's not stupid. This man probably full well knows that Jesus is purposefully using metaphor to describe a profound spiritual truth. Folks, that was common. Nicodemus is used to this. He's a learned man. They always had theological and doctrinal and scriptural debates by using similes and metaphors and figures of speech. He's used to this kind of thing. He just doesn't like this metaphor. He's probably refusing to accept right now at this point in the conversation what Jesus is saying and teaching. Why? Think about it. Think, think, think about it. Jesus has totally annihilated his belief system. Jesus, in one statement, is totally annihilating Nicodemus' religious ideas. All of his presuppositions about works righteousness, about earning one's way into the kingdom of God. Nicodemus probably understands full well that Jesus was demanding something. Demanding a condition, demanding some sort of complete spiritual transformation of the human soul that only God could bring about, and people cannot. And Nicodemus and his fellow Pharisees cannot. And he doesn't like that, now does he? Nor anyone like him in the 2,000 years since has liked this statement. At least at the first proclamation of it. Nicodemus wants 
to accomplish and earn the kingdom of God on his own, folks. His own way. This Pharisee, this jaded Pharisee, the Pharisee way, the religious establishment's way. Nicodemus cannot possibly see how. He cannot possibly imagine how a grown man such as himself, so gifted, so learned, so molded by his heritage, his pedigree, so set in his ways, so accomplished, he cannot see how he could, as we would say, turn the proverbial clock back and be born physically or spiritually for that matter and start life all over again as a totally new person. This done by God or no? You see, we've just started this conversation. <laughs> and Nicodemus already does not like where this talk is going. Jesus has stunned him. Jesus has been stunning people with this statement for 2,000 years, and He still does, and He always will, until He returns. Jesus has stunned this man. He's totally refuted his views, his religiosity, Jesus' form of expression, what it says. It disturbs Nicodemus. It shakes him down to his foundation. And yet, well, yes, Jesus is saying he's totally wrong. He's totally wrong on how to get into the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what this is doing to this man? What it does to anybody in every age and every culture who thinks they're going to get in on their own merits? But some have suggested, and I think this is very interesting, there may be something going on in Nicodemus. There's a real struggle going on here. There may be something else going on in the heart of this man. He may be speaking somewhat skeptically wistful. Let me explain it this way. Nicodemus may be saying, new birth, new birth, a whole new life, from the inside out, really. When one is my age, grown adult, really start all over? <laughs> How wonderful that would be, Rabbi Jesus, if only that were true. If only one could do that. If only one could be begotten again, afresh. But that doesn't happen now, does it? If only one could go back to the womb and be born all over again. But that doesn't happen, Rabbi Jesus, now does it? It's too late. A physical miracle going back to one's mother's womb and starting all over again, being born all over again? That's impossible. I know you're speaking in a figure of speech, but what you are demanding... A new soul, a new soul life, that's even more impossible. To break down with all the past and start all over, that is simply too good to be true. Now, we have to work our way best we can. How can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, now can he? That may be how he's asking this question. You see, Nicodemus replied to Jesus here in verse 4. Folks, I can almost assure you there's something more going on here. There's something other going on here than a crassly literalistic understanding of what Jesus has said. Do you understand what this is? This is broken religion. Broken man-made religion. Broken humanity being confronted with the truth, the ultimate truth from He who is the truth, the source of all truth, proclaiming the truth. What Jesus is saying is true. Praise God. Here's the good news, Nicodemus. You don't have to despair. What Jesus is saying, it is really true. 
It's not impossible. Nicodemus, you should know your own scriptures. And Jesus will call him on this. Later on in this conversation, you call yourself the teacher of Israel. You claim to really know the Bible. If you really did know God and you really did know the Old Testament scriptures, you would know what I'm talking about. You would know where my metaphor is coming from, from the Old Testament. This new birth is not impossible, Nicodemus. This condition is not impossible. With God, all things are possible. You're right. With humanity, it is impossible. I, don't, I know you don't want to hear that. But with you, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That's why I'm here. To make this new birth possible. Why is it not impossible? Just by virtue of the fact it is a birth given by the power of God, as Jesus has told him. It's a gift of God. It's an act of God. It's from above. It's from heaven. It is too good, and it is true, Nicodemus. It's not too late. No, you can't. No, you don't work your way in. It's God's work. It's God's way. Folks, uh, time and time again this week, I was stricken again. The amazing generosity and patience of Jesus in these conversations with these specimens of fallen humanity. Translate that into action in your life. Can you imagine the amazing generosity and hospitality and patience that Jesus has with you and with me? And our conversations, our fumbling, presumptuous conversations that we have with Him? Amazing is the careful, generous patience of Jesus, the Word made flesh, with this specimen of broken, man-made religion. Broken humanity. Yes, Nicodemus, there is hope. There is hope in God. Stop hoping in yourself. In your additions to the Bible. Hope in God. God's Messiah. The Bible's Messiah. As prophesied all along. Put your hope in He who is the Word made flesh. You can't earn heaven. But praise God, as Jesus is saying, it is a gracious gift from God above. What Jesus has said thus far seems possible to this jaded old Pharisee. And so he asks this rhetorical question, expecting a negative answer. But again, praise God. Here's the good news. Euangelion, the best news ever proclaimed. Jesus' answer is not going to be negative. It's going to be positive. Jesus' answer is not at all in the negative. And notice Jesus doesn't back off from his statement, from his metaphor. Not one centimeter, not a millimeter, not an inch. He doesn't budge. Instead, he goes on the advance. He goes on the attack. He drives his point home. Jesus holds his ground and drives home further what he says, what he means. He will patiently elaborate and explain what this born again from above reality and experience really is. How it works. How it comes about. How it comes about by the work of God. You see, I'm speaking in a literary sense as we examine the gospel. You know something already that Nicodemus doesn't know yet. Think about it. Nicodemus has yet to understand what John has already told you and me. Nicodemus doesn't understand yet what John has already told the reader of this gospel. He's told you this in the prologue. Remember the prologue? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Absolutely everything that you will hear of, that you will see, that you will encounter in this gospel is informed by the prologue. What does the prologue say? Well, turn a page. Chapter 1. Verses 12 and 13. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children. That means a birth. You have to be born to be a child. To become children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were what? Who were born. Not of blood. 
nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. There's the new birth. <coughs> Pardon me. The born again life. Given to you in the prologue. He who is the Word made flesh became flesh to accomplish this new birth by the power of God to be given to human beings so they can give up the pathetic vanity of trying to work their way into the kingdom of God. And to this new birth, we will turn again with Jesus and Nicodemus on the next Lord's Day. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Word made flesh, and that by believing you may have life, born again life, in His name. Sovereign Lord God, our Heavenly Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. Bless our humble efforts to proclaim and teach the truth of Your Word. Thank You for the patience of these folks here in the flesh and those watching about the world. May Jesus' proclamation of the new birth bear fruit in the minds and hearts and souls of all who hear this message. May many be brought to new life, and those who already possess new life, may their souls be strengthened by this message anew and again. In Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen. To dismiss, let's sing them. hymn number 280. Lyrics on the screen as well. Redeemed till I love to proclaim it. Verses 1, 2, and 4.